You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Friday, so it's time for the weekly wrap. And this week, I'm speaking to Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective. Graham, I've got an analogy. I've just thought of it in the last two minutes. I have to admit, I had a little bit of a nap at lunchtime, and because that's what one can do when one is self-isolating. So I had a nap. When I've woken up, and my mind is so clear, the analogy is as follows. It was a few weeks ago. I used to watch before the uh, coronavirus uh, dominated our screens. There was a lot of weather in the UK, and there was a lot of little places in Yorkshire and other and Wales in particular that were flooded. And it was terrible, you know, the farming community was hit hard, as were normal law-abiding citizens. Now, what would happen was that then the rain would stop, but the BBC would still be there and say, well, the rain is still coming down from the mountains, it's soaked into the soil, and the, the river levels will continue to rise, despite the fact that the rain has stopped. Now, it's almost like that with coronavirus, although the fact that in certain countries the death rate is slowing not disappearing but slowing the effects will still be felt it's not a bad analogy hello graham hello lindsay yeah it's a it's a good one so i think the um you know i was chatting to somebody yesterday and i said i think the uh, and I think even the last time we spoke, which I think is probably about two weeks, maybe three weeks ago, mm-hmm. I was saying, you know, it's it's as much about livelihoods as it is lives. Um, and if you take the South African situation, we we obviously, uh, I think even people like the World Health or Health, sorry World Health Organization have admitted we've actually done a very good job to slow this uh, to slow the spread down. Um, and I think that's exactly what we aim to do. We aim to to really give our our health professionals and our health industry, you know, four weeks in, in which to prepare. But the reality is that uh, it's going to get worse in South Africa. And when you take that analogy to economics, um, you say, well, <clears throat> you know, all the stimulus that's being thrown at the economies at the moment um, is not going to offset. I don't know if you saw, but I think the the composite PMI number indicative for Europe is <laughs> is sitting at I think thirteen point nine. Yes, uh, the composite was twenty seven. I mean, this is this is way worse. The you know, the impact is way worse than what we saw um, with the global financial crisis because it, that was probably more a, a financial system issue, whereas this is affecting uh, Main Street in a very very profound way. But I think your point, your analogy is well made, even when people start feeling more comfortable that maybe we've, we've flattened the curve and, um, you know, places like South Africa are preparing next week to start uh, opening some of the sectors up, Germany doing a similar sort of thing, and, and quite a few countries around the world are starting to try and, and get parts of the economy uh, operational again. The reality is that the data that, that's going to come a month from now or two or three months from now is going to be worse than awful. And I think that, yeah, your analogy is actually very, very powerful. Very good indeed. And the other part of the analogy is that there will be some more showers as well just to, to top things up. So there could be some states in the United States of America, there should, could be some countries in Europe that open up a little bit too soon, and then they realise that there's another storm coming along to top up their misery. So that can happen. But anyway, enough of that analogy. Let's yeah. talk about South Africa now. You're in South Africa. You're in isolation yourself. You've seen uh, Cyril Ramaphosa speak two or three times now. I'm sort of losing track of the number of times that I wait for him to come up to the podium. We've got Tito and Buweni coming up today with an emergency budget of sorts. How do you think that South mm. Africa has handled it? And how has it affected you and the, the market in, in that respect? 
Well, I, th- I think, um, you know, stimulus packages in South Africa are, are somewhat different to to a place like the U.S. Firstly, obviously, just in terms of the absolute numbers, but also what the objective is. So I think a lot of the stimulus in South Africa was really just trying to take, you know, the very marginalized in, so- in society and make sure that they, you know, they, they had food. So I think, you know, in, in South Africa, the stimulus measures were far more in terms of basic needs um, and, and even in terms of health care, you know, just trying to bolster the health care system. Whereas, um, obviously, in America, it's more about trying to uh, keep small businesses uh, liquid. Of course, there's some of that in South Africa. But um, I think all things considered, we, we had to do something. Um, you know, what, what was a health emergency, you know, very quickly escalated into a social um, and humanitarian crisis, not because of the health impact, but because of, you know, the fact that, that many, many, many livelihoods had been lost. And uh, in, in many South African households, it's a case if you don't work, you don't earn money, and that's not just for those who are self-employed, um, but for casual workers and so forth. So, yeah, I think that that was really where the focus on on our um, on, on our interventions were. And there's obviously a lot of people rightly saying, "Well, you know, the, the devil will be in the detail. Who gives us the money? How do we have to pay it back? Uh, what happens when you decimate the the tax base, etc., cetera, etc.?" Cetera. But the the reality of it is, we have to. Um, as human beings, we've got to remember the, the human cost, um, not just health-wise, about the fact that so many millions of people, um, you know, really are living on the on the breadline. And we had to, um, I think, for not only for for their sake, but for for us as a as a caring country, we had to uh, address that issue. So all things considered, I think we we did what had to be done. Um, hopefully, we get our funding at one percent from friendly agencies who. Um, who don't in, insist on too much interference. But I think there was another point, if I may say, Lindsay, I don't yes. know if you picked it up, but the, the, the you know, uh, three weeks ago, I think it was, Tito Mboweni, you know, uh, let the kite go up into the into the air to say, you know, he thinks that maybe we should be approaching the IMF, et cetera. And uh, within the party, he was sort of torn to pieces. And now suddenly we're talking about approaching the World Bank and possibly the IMF. And suddenly those voices seem to have gone quiet because I think there's a realization that, you know, um, we were fragile before, but this thing could break us if we don't uh, if we don't think open-mindedly. So um, I think that was one of the positives for me. And also, um, I think the president has handled this thing very, very well. Even you know the WHO, as I was saying, has commended South Africa for for decisive leadership. And if you think about it, I mean, it's not exactly like we're playing with uh, with the strongest uh, cards in, in in the world. So I think we've we've handled it well. We obviously, like a lot of the Southern Hemisphere, have, have been somewhat shielded, but. Um, I really hope we now seize this opportunity, as they say, don't never let a, a good crisis go to waste, um, you know, to drive through some some policy reform and some structural reform. And, um, yeah, so that that's my real hope. But early indications is, is that that's exactly what's happening. So I think the president has, uh, has seized the moment. And I think he's also consolidated his power within the party and within the country. Um, you know, he, he is now the president that a lot of people hoped he would be, um, you know, when he was elected um, in, in, uh, in 2018. So all things considered, I think they've done a very good job. Very good. Let's have a look at uh, what's happened in South Africa this week from a corporate point of view. The one that really stands out, and it's standing out on my screen now, 
was a set of results from a company called Clicks yesterday. I thought the numbers were respectable. They didn't take into account the COVID-19 period. So we must obviously expect the worst. And the share price is saying to us, well, expect the worst. But the one thing that the share price is reacting to, and I've had a couple of comments from people saying that they're a little bit irked by the passing of the dividend. And I've got clicks on my screen at 1.45 p.m. South African time, down around about 11%. Following on from that is TFG down 8.5% and Trueworth down 4.5%. Now, what do you make of the clicks numbers, first of all? And secondly, the fact that they've given up the dividend. Now, they've given up the dividend, or rather passed on the dividend, simply because they want their balance sheet to be strong but also because maybe they see much worse times ahead. I mean, the two sort of go together, don't they? But what is your opinion on that? Well, firstly, I think in terms of the, the results, they, they you, you want a tale of two halves. This is going to be it. You know, you're going to have a very good first half. And then, uh, yeah, the second half is going to be very different. So, um, And that's, I think, my view, probably more what is worrying the markets. Because I think a lot of people thought, oh, well, you know, Clicks has got a defensive business model, you know, the, the pharmacies and, and Clicks generally continue to trade. But I think they're telling us it's going to be a lot worse. And, you know, I've been into a, a Clicks in the last few weeks. And let's just say, you know, they weren't pumping the way they did maybe uh, six months ago. Um, but I think, Lindsay, in terms of the passing of the dividend, um, there may be some people who, who are a bit irked by that. But let's be honest, you know, Clicks trades on a high multiple. And for that reason, the yield is pretty pretty lousy. So I think the historic is 1.7%. So I don't think anybody is really crying too much in their beer about the loss of that yield because it's not spectacular. I think the thing that's maybe bugging the market, is, and we've had this discussion before, where when you're on you know, 35 or 40 multiples, um, the error margin is almost non-existent. So um, I think that's probably together with the outlook and the fact that people are saying, well, you know, they do make quite a lot of money out of selling fragrances and makeup and, 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 and the odd you know, small appliances, and those sales are going to completely implode. Um, in terms of the decision to pass the dividend, I think generally, you know, companies are, 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 are very sensible in, um, in preserving cash. I mean, Clicks doesn't have a balance sheet problem. But I think just generally, um, it, it's, it's a very smart strategy to say, you know, let's, let's pass the dividends now. Let's just make sure we've got, as JP Morgan sort of calls it, the fortress balance sheet, just to see you through. Because we don't know how long this is going to be. We don't know how bad it's going to be. You know, you might have, maybe not so much in the case of Clicks, but you, you know, you're going to probably have more bad debts than you than you ever imagined before. So, the the the, the tail could be quite long. Um, but I think the the fundamental is is as simple as a very very highly valued company um, who um, is guiding for a pretty lousy second half. And I think maybe people are just smelling the coffee. Personally, I think it's still expensive. Although it's a brilliantly run, well placed company, these multiples are just too high. Um, I think the error margin is uh, is uh, yeah is, is just too 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 wide for uh, for uh, a company sitting on a forty multiple. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, that out of the way. The second wave of selling, if it is going to come, and we're not going to get a V-shaped recovery. The second wave of selling is open to interpretation. Is the second wave of selling, if it does come, going to be because of the appalling economic data, which we'll come to in a moment, or is it because people open up too early and there are, as Mr. Trump puts it, there are still embers, embers he calls it, of 
coronavirus uh, fires still lying around and they flare up. What is your view? First of all, will there be a second wave of selling in the stock market and other asset classes? And if so, why will that second wave come? What will be the catalyst? Okay, so let's not comment on Trump because, I mean, he's just... Oh, we have to, but not not, not now. Otherwise, we'll we'll ruin the rest of the interview because it's it's so extraordinary what happened last night. But anyway, go on. Anyway, so... so, um, I think generally he's handled this thing terribly, and 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 my sense is with, you know, the initial jobless claims yesterday at over four million. I think it brings the aggregate for the last five weeks to twenty four million, if I remember correctly. You know, then suddenly twenty four million out of a potential labour force of one hundred and sixty million um, on initial jobless claims. That's a that tells you something. So twenty six and a half is, million, I think it was with yesterday's number. Yeah. But anyway, these are semantics. Yeah. It's a lot of people. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot of people, and and of course the one beauty with America is they hire they hire fast and they fire fast. So, um, but having said that, I think um, that economy is going to probably take some strain. So, what what's going to cause the next wave of selling? Um, my my sense is that, <laughs> you know, in the words of Rumsfeld, there are un- unknown unknowns, and I think at the moment the market is playing the game that you know it's going to be a V and we're going to be out of this by the end of June. But coming back to your your analogy in the beginning, um, it's going to be with us for longer. You know, it's going to take time for for if you look at South Africa for the tourism sector to to reopen, for you know the hospitality industry to reopen, and and those are big creators of jobs. And those you know in terms of tourism is a big foreign exchange revenue generator. And um, yeah, so I think the, the the reality is that I believe the market is 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 sort of penning in a v-shaped recovery and assuming that the impact on earnings are going to be fairly benign um i I think that's fundamentally wrong i think um i think the earnings uh, if we fast track you know six months the earnings numbers we're going to be getting are going to be awful and you've seen people like standard bank guiding on that in the last few days so yeah my sense is that gravity will once again take over if you look at the US, for example, um, just for context, um, you know, that obviously took a pounding. On a one-month view, the NASDAQ and, in fact, all the major markets are up around 25%. Um, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. I think, the you know, the, if you assume this economic impact is going to – that's obviously going to, you know, in terms of the pain is going gonna, is gonna to manifest itself – now in the in the second quarter, but it's going to be with us for a couple of quarters more. So you know, if you look at the the, the multiple on the S and P five hundred historically, I think it was only sort of back to the dot com era where the valuations were this stretched. Um, and yeah, I think the market is going to be shocked by by the by the results, and it'll be easy to gloss over them and say, ah, oh, well, we knew we knew they were going to be bad. But I think if they last for a couple of quarters longer than the market expects. That I think will, will will probably hurt, and then also my my sense is exactly what you were saying that you know the showers will come again. Um, so I think the market has generally been buoyed by uh, the stimulus, both fiscal and monetary, um, but uh, that eventually wears a little bit thin, and uh, you know it's then down to it's down to the earnings, and the problem is if the market is happy to put the mark uh, the you know stocks on on historically demanding. PE multiples, you've got the, the, the multiple as one, but you still need the earnings. And I think that's what my my belief is that's what market will start 
focusing a little bit more over the next month or two um, is is just the the extent of the destruction of earnings. So I think gravity will take over, and um, I think we, we're ahead of ourselves because we don't know how long it's going to be and how be with us and how how deep the the the, the impact is going to be. So I think all things considered, um, I would be a little bit. Uh, weary of putting money into the into markets now, unless they're in, in in specific opportunities. You know, if you look at companies like J and J and Amazon and Apple and Microsoft, you sort of say, well, you know, what global recession? What COVID nineteen impact? And I think mm. that does worry me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so many things that are happening. I mean, it's just a tiny example. I was watching the BBC again this morning and they were going through the newspapers and there was an article in the Daily Mail, I think it was, which says the Unilever have said that people are using less shampoo. They're not shaving as much. They're not using as much deodorant because they're at home. They don't have to be nice and fresh uh, to, to stand next to the water cooler or in the kitchen making a cup of tea. Uh, so they are sort of people's daily hygiene habits are changing. Now, you multiply that by tens and tens of millions of people in the so-called developed world, then suddenly Unilever has to look at itself and say, well, okay, we're going to have to switch from this type of focus on advertising to that type of focus on advertising. Do you see what I mean? There are these tiny little things which are very nuanced and very specific, but we, we, we are going to be taking them for granted in the future as we have taken for granted actually having a shower every day in the past. Yeah. So, Lindsay, I mean, I, I was chatting to a colleague earlier today, and, um, and and we were saying exactly that, that, you know, it's the it's the butterfly wing story, that, you know, the contagion effect. So, it's, it's wonderful, you know, uh, the multiplier effect of, of, of economic activity is, is so powerful, <laughs> but it works in reverse as well, you know. So, your your customers aren't, aren't um you know, are, are no longer producing, so they stop ordering from you. Um, that triggers sort of bad debts, and it sort of backs up through the system. Um, yeah, so I, I think you, 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 you're absolutely right that um, if you take a company like Unilever, if I, I think I saw the CEO talking to the fact that this, the, the, their manufacturing capacity is still running at about, or manufacturing is running at about 80% of capacity. Yes. But, you know, that 20% um, – is also um, sort of masked by, I think, a couple of specific products. Um, and my sense is that that 20%, when you now go and look at the actual ink, um, effect on, on profitability, it's massive because, you know, there are obviously quite big fixed overheads in those businesses. So, you know, 20% decline in, 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 in revenue for some businesses, you know, could, could mean the difference between being profitable and, and being loss-making. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. There are going to be quite a few shifts taking place. But having said all of this, you know, we, we, we in the last couple of weeks have added uh, Diageo's to our client portfolios a, a little bit lower down. And we said because, sure, we do believe that in a business like that, it will be, um, you know, it'll be a, a one quarter profoundly and maybe a second quarter less profoundly kind of story. So, you know, we, I think the, the, not all businesses are, are equal. You know, the airline industry is not going to behave the same as uh, as uh, Diageo, and, and and Unilever will behave differently to GlaxoSmithKline, for example. So, I think it's it's a very good time to just recalibrate. And the problem is, we're having to sort of you you can't be too fixed or rigid in your thinking. You have to continually think. You know what's going to happen as as disposable income around the world comes under pressure and people start pivoting away from 
you know, the premium brand and premium product towards, you know, the value offering? What's that going to do to companies' profitability and which companies are well-placed for that? Um, yeah, so I think that's what we're trying to sort of spend a bit of time on is just sort of trying to figure out who the, who the real winners will be um, because, you know, there are going to be a lot of companies who, if you just think about bad debts, for example, you know, if you, um, if you take a company like uh, Bidvest, for example, who is very, very involved in the food industry and in hospitality and entertainment industry, mm. you know, um, there are going to probably be quite a few failures of, of, of amongst their client base. And, um, you know, suddenly you start taking bad debt write-offs and the banks will probably be affected to a degree as well. You know, it, it can change the landscape quite quite badly because, you know, if you find that, you know, 5% of your customers are out of business and, and, and you know, they, they represent um, 10% of your debtor's book, um, you know, you write that debtor's book off depending obviously what your what your margins look like, it can have a very profound effect. So, and that can take time to, to actually manifest. So, I think coming back to it, to your point that um, – you know, behaviors are going to change. But I think the flip side to that is there's a, I think there's a growing sense around that, you know, COVID is going to be with us for, for a while. Let's, let's face facts. But it's, it, you know, we also as a, as a, a um, as a species are going to have to get our heads around how we actually start opening the economies in a very prudent way so that we can protect livelihoods. And also, let's be frank, I mean, this is, you know, me talking my book, we have to protect the the markets, we have to protect, uh, you know, the financial system, because if we don't intervene, we just leave this thing and let the politicians keep the countries locked up for as long as they feel comfortable, you may not have an, an economy. So I was saying, you know, Last night that you could win the, the COVID battle, but you lose the economic war. That, I think, could be where a lot of governments are going to start applying their, their minds over the next uh, week or two. The third point I was going to make regarding the potential second wave of selling. Uh, the first one I mentioned was the economic data is so bad that people just say, goodness me, mm. this rally of uh, nearly 30% in the S&P from the lows was unjustified. Uh, so we're going to sell. Yeah. Uh, the second one was um, uh, virus flare-ups because uh, just because yeah. it's flaring up and it's with us and we haven't got a vaccine, so it stays with us. As you rightly said a moment ago, it's going to be with us for a while and may get worse in spots. Okay, the third one was that businesses just don't go back to normal. It's very simple. And I've used this uh, yeah. example walking around a, a major European city, as I do, and seeing certain businesses that just say, sorry, we're temporarily closed, uh, come and see us when, when this, all this is over, to others where I see people boarding the places up because you know, after five, six weeks, they were working on thin margins anyway. And now there's yep. no margin at all, thin or thick. So they're just closing yep. down. So therefore, the jobs that they were providing the economy are just simply not there. It's going to take a long time to get back to the employment levels that we've been used to. That's the third one. And to me, that, that can mm. be quite meaningful. Absolutely right. We come back to the whole thing about disposable income. So how many... Uh, Unilever consumers are, are going to be, um, be unemployed. You know, in, we've seen the massive spike in the US. It's going to be a global phenomenon. Now, you know, for a, for a month or three months, people will probably continue spending the way they were. Um, they continue to draw a salary and they, or they get, you know, unemployment benefits, but then things start getting quite tight. And I think to, to throw maybe the fourth point to yours is, 
Okay, so governments have stimulated. South Africa throws 500 billion rand at it, America throws 2 trillion. Europe is talking about a 2.2 trillion euro um, stimulus package. Lovely. What is the long-term impact of that? Because now suddenly we took economies and regions who were already probably over-indebted and who have been running current account deficits and budget deficits um, perpetually for a decade. Um, you know, the national debt uh, to GDP is in many countries now through the 100%, which I think is sort of, you know, the wrong side of manageable. And they're throwing more, more, more at it and borrowing more. And in many cases, exactly to your point, even if the you know, unemployment rate in America settles at, say, 8% a year from now, that means your tax revenue base is, is drastically reduced at a time when budgets were expanding. Um, yeah, so I think that, that to me is the, the long-term tale. And the question then is when, when the panic about just go and buy U.S. Treasuries or buy German bonds because they are you know, the risk-free asset and at least you get your capital back. Um, my sense is a year or so from now, people will suddenly say, well, gee, this doesn't make awfully much sense. We're not even, um, okay, inflation is going to come off in the short term, um, but we're not even, uh, maybe a year from now, not even getting um, inflation on our on, as a yield to maturity. And suddenly we realize that there's a whole lot more paper in issue, especially if it, if it happens at a time where you've got maturities coming up. And, um, yeah, people, I think, maybe a little bit more reluctant to just blindly pump money into global, you know, treasuries simply because, you know, they're fearful of everything else. Um, that to me is is probably on a on a long-term bet the, the, the biggest short because, you know, why would you consciously take negative uh, real returns, um, especially when you're funding countries or regions who – um, whose fundamental economics are not healthy. You know, they continue to spend more than they make, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is probably when we, when, when we all sober up and when the initial uh, crisis is over, that's what we're going to have to get our head around is just how safe is government debt. Final point, Graham. Your phone's gone a little bit muffled. I don't know if you've changed your position or something, but it doesn't matter. It's still very manageable. The final point, we've spoken about the PMIs <laughs> coming out of Europe. Oh, horrific, horrific purchasing managers' indices, uh, composite services and manufacturing. It doesn't matter which one you look at. They're all pretty bad. Um, but we have, uh, we've spoken a little bit about the 26.5 million people in the last five weeks filing for their initial jobless claim, claims rather, but we haven't spoken about the oil price. That's been fun, hasn't it? Yeah, well, who would have thought somebody would pay somebody else $40 a barrel to take oil off their hands the following day? Mm. Uh, but I think WTI was, was unique. I think you had the contract expiry and, uh, you know, the fact that there was a lot of oil on water, um, en route, uh, together with the fact that the U.S. is now energy or was, <laughs> you know, energy independent. So I think there was a... a, 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 a congruence of factors that, that made WTI go completely mad. But um, my sense of it is that <clears throat> that a hell of a lot of shale capacity is going to get taken offline in the next uh, month or so. Um, that's going to fundamentally reshape the supply dynamics. Um, I would personally not be surprised once you start seeing those operations get cold. And I think you're probably going to find a lot of lenders not very keen to to renew or extend or, you know, um, lend new to the shale industry. So 
I think the shale industry in the U.S. is probably the big structural loser in all of this. Mm. And maybe then the Saudis and the Russians you know, sit around the campfire together and say, okay, well, demand is going to improve if we look six months or a year out. We've managed to take, I don't know how many million barrels a day of supply out of the U.S. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, six months from now to see the oil price at say, $35 and a year from now at $40 or $45. Um, because I think, yeah, they have definitely taken a lot of weak, uh, well, let's call them high cost producers. And it's not just the shale guys, you know, even within OPEC, you've got some fairly high cost producers. So I think the oil markets have been interesting. And of course, the one we haven't spoken about is, is Cecil, which has become the, the yo-yo of the South African market, sort of moving, you know, sometimes 15, 20% a day. Um, yeah. So if you, if you've got a, a strong disposition and you, 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 you can take risk. Yeah, I think Cecil, if you believe my hypothesis that oil may be at $35 or $40 a barrel six months or a year from now, is looking like a very interesting opportunity. But it is fairly, fairly binary on a three or four month view because, um, they, uh, you know, the last thing you want is a rights offer at, uh, you know, a couple of billion dollars at, at 30 rand a share. Um, but yeah, it's a, those are the, the incredible um, anomalies in our market. If you think about it, Sassel was 400 rand and it's trading now at 50 and it was, as you know, in the 20s. I mean, that was like the, the quintessential South African blue chip and uh, how the mighty have fallen uh, globally. So I think this, and there'll probably be more, more big casualties, you know. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to find you know, the best of breed companies with real, with fortress balance sheets, with strong products, uh, you know, good product pipelines and stuff like that. And in South Africa, strangely enough, we've had this discussion before. Um, you know, we've tilted and pivoted the portfolios, not massively, but uh, quite significantly towards some um, mid caps and small caps who will be affected, but may not be as affected by the sort of nominal GDP proxies like uh, Bitvest. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's wild. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent, but I think no, not the, so. what's happened in the oil market and and, and what's happened to Sasol is kind of a microcosm of just what's going to happen to so many industries. I can just imagine. That, I mean, it's, it's 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 a very disturbing time, but it's also a very exciting time. Who would have thought? If I had said to you, and let's say you'd been away for for a couple of years and come back, and I said to you, this Sasol was fifty and it was twenty two. You would you would think yeah. I was I was mad. And speaking of mad, we have to end this on Donald Trump because what he said last night was <laughs> the words of a criminally insane person talking about people using disinfectant to cure their coronavirus problem. Uh, I, I, I presume that's what you were referring well, what, to at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the interview. Have you seen that? What he said last night. No, but um, I, I actually resolved I'm, I'm going to take a few days off because I actually get quite angry, you know, the whole handling of this thing from the beginning. But I think, you know, his, his, you, you've seen the, the rally around the flag around the world, you know, even you know, people like uh, Trudeau, for example, and Macron and Conte, all have seen, and Boris Johnson, have seen massive increases in their popularity ratings, um, even where the you know, people have been in lockdown. But in the U.S., there was an initial rally around the flag, but nowhere near what you saw elsewhere in the world. And now it's basically all evaporated. So, um, you know, maybe maybe a lot of people are starting to realize that, you know, 
great leadership and they can make themselves in, in these crisis times. But equally, you know, inept leadership can, can cause so much pain and hopefully it then fixes the system because, um, you know, it's just, it's been reckless the way it was handled. On the 28th of February, he was calling it a hoax. It's, you know, it's insane. Um, and, but equally bragging how impressed all the, all the medical specialists and scientists were with his deep understanding of, uh, yeah. of neurology. Yes. So, anyway. Okay, you've annoyed me again now. You've annoyed me again. Um, you started it. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's exactly what Trump would say. It wasn't me, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> Graham Kerner, thank you very much for your excellent analysis. Graham Kerner is from Kerner Perspective in Johannesburg. Just remind us how we keep in touch with you, please, Graham, and your work. I think just go to www.corporate.co.za. Graham Kerner again from Kerner Perspective. That was the weekly wrap. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.